Well, oftentimes uh, you can tell what a person values by what offends them. Have you ever noticed that? For example, if uh, you get offended by someone talking badly about our country, that means you value being a citizen of the United States. You're patriotic. You value your citizenship in our country, which is a good thing. Well, in a lesser way, if you get offended when someone talks bad about a particular sports team, that means you're a fan of that particular sports team and probably that you value them a bit too much, depending upon how much you get offended by people talking bad about your team. I imagine most every one of you in here, if you were to hear someone badmouth your husband or wife, your kids, your father or mother, maybe even your brothers and sisters, you would get upset because you value them. And also, I imagine that that many of you in here, self-included, if someone were to talk bad about you personally, you're going to get very upset because, like it or not, we have a tendency to value our reputation above everything else. So we can, we can come to understand what we value by what offends us. And by the way, it's it's good idea, it's a good practice when you get upset, when you get offended by someone or something, to ask yourself the question, what is being challenged that is resulting in me getting offended? And should I be getting as offended as I am? Or am I valuing something more than I should? Those are some good questions to ask yourself. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 22. Acts 22, we're going to talk about values this morning. And in our text this morning, we are going to be looking at another sermon from the Apostle Paul. And it's a sermon to a hostile crowd. And there are two main groups in Paul's audience. There is this mob of angry, zealous Jews and a group of concerned Roman soldiers and Paul is going to say and do certain things that is going to upset both groups and so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at what Paul says and does in this text and I want to I want to look at both groups and I want us to ask this question what did Paul say and do to upset those in the crowd and what can we learn about what Paul valued by what he said and did and what these groups valued in Acts 22 and what we can learn from that but before we get into this text of scripture let me begin first by giving a brief word of review because we've had several weeks off from the book of Acts last time We were in Acts. We left Paul in Jerusalem. Remember, he had traveled to Jerusalem to bring financial relief for the Jews there. They were in need. He had taken up a collection among the Gentile believers to bring to the Jews. And he also gathered up several Gentile believers to bring with them with this offering in hopes of strengthening the bond between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. And while Paul is in Jerusalem with these Gentiles, he is accused by a group of non-believing Jews from Asia of bringing Trophimus, a Gentile believer from Ephesus who was with Paul, into a restricted Jewish-only area of the temple. 
So Paul's accused of this, bringing Trophimus into this Jewish-only area. And we get a good idea that those Jews who accused Paul of this offense knew that their accusations were false. And the reason we know that is because they don't go after Trophimus, the Gentile, which is what normally would happen. Instead, they set their sights on Paul. They form an angry mob and grab Paul while he is in the temple and they pull him out of the temple and into the temple courtyard and they begin to beat him and were told that they wanted to kill him. And meanwhile, in the uh, Fort Antonia, which was a Roman fort in Jerusalem, some Roman soldiers see what is going on and they report it and the report, the news gets to the tribune, this this commander of a thousand Roman soldiers and he comes from this fort probably down from the tower that overlooked the temple courtyard and they come down into this courtyard with the Roman soldiers and when the Jews see them they quit beating on Paul and the Romans snatch Paul up and they're going to take him away back to their barracks they thought Paul was this infamous rebel from Egypt and we talked about who that was, who they believed him to be in the last sermon. You can go back and listen to that. We won't go into that this morning. But they thought that that's who Paul was until Paul speaks to them in Greek. Then they knew that's not who he was. Because Greek was the language of the culture. It was the language of one who had been educated outside of Jerusalem. So they knew Paul was someone unique. They still did not know he was a Roman citizen. That news would come later. But they knew he was someone unique. And Paul asked them in Greek to address this angry mob. And they let him. And then he turns to the Jewish mob. And he begins to speak in the language of the Hebrews, which was Aramaic. Paul was an impressive guy, wasn't he? spoke Greek to the Roman soldiers, then he addresses the crowd in Aramaic. And so today we're going to pick up there and look at what Paul says to them. And as we do, I want you to notice what Paul valued, what the Jewish mob valued, and what the Roman soldiers valued. First, let's look at what Paul valued. We see from Paul's message that he valued his relationship with the Lord and his Christian mission. In verses 1 through 21... When Paul's given the opportunity, he he makes this known, that this is what he valued by sharing his testimony with this angry Jewish mob. And notice how he shares his testimony with them. He begins, point number one, these are the bullet points underneath, by sharing about his Jewish past. Paul shared about his Jewish past. Look at verses 1 through 5 of Acts 22. Paul says... Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So he's got their attention, you see that? And he said to them, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So 
Notice here, Paul is just telling of his Jewish past. And he does so, I believe, for a few different reasons. One is because Paul is sharing his testimony. And as you know, when you share your testimony, it's important that you share about your life before Christ. That is an important part of your testimony. When sharing your testimony, it's important that you let those you're sharing with know how God has saved you, how he has changed you, what he has saved you from. Now, you don't need to brag about your past sin. I see a lot of that going on we don't need to do that but we do need to brag in the God who has changed us from the inside out so that's one reason Paul shared in this way and started in this way but another reason he does is to establish common ground with those in the crowd once again we've seen Paul do this throughout his ministry in Acts. He often tries to meet those in his audience where they are so he can take them from where they are and lead them to Jesus. Notice he, he first does this by speaking in their heart language, in Aramaic. When he does that, we see they, they get quiet, don't they? Then he reminds them that he was once just like they were, but was more prestigious more devout, more zealous, and more of an enemy to Christ and other Christians than they could ever imagine being. He tells them that he was a Jew who was born and raised and educated in the city of Tarsus in Cilicia. Remember we said a few weeks ago, Tarsus was a very prosperous, prominent, distinguished city. He lets them know, though I was born and raised there for a time in this great city, I was also brought up in Jerusalem and was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. When Paul was young, he traveled to Jerusalem for schooling and he sat under a great Jewish teacher by the name of Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel would have been very, very well known to those in the crowd at this time. He was a highly respected, deeply revered Jewish leader. History tells us that many said of Gamaliel, when Gamaliel died, the reverence for the law died with Gamaliel. They called him Rabban Gamaliel, Master Gamaliel. He was very, very impressive, and Paul studied under this well-respected, brilliant, devout, and zealous Jewish leader. And because he trained under him, Paul said, I was trained as an extremely conservative Jew. Gamaliel trained me according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, he says. A part of Paul's studies involved memorization of great portions of the Old Testament. So he knew the scriptures and was zealous for what he believed at the time the scriptures said. He said, I was zealous for God as all of you are this day. You see what he's doing here? He's, he's meeting them where they are. He's establishing a common ground with them. And I imagine that none of them had any kind of issues with what Paul had said up to this point. He continues to speak their language by saying, on top of that, on top of being educated in Tarsus and raised and educated by Master Gamaliel in Jerusalem according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, our Jewish fathers, you see, he's connecting with them. Being zealous for God, just like you guys are, in addition to that, I also persecuted Christians. He said, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. He didn't discriminate, did he? 
He says in verse 5 that the high priest and the whole council of elders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, can bear witness to this. In other words, Paul's saying, go ask your leaders. They'll tell you this. Many of the Jewish leaders in this city will tell you how zealous I was. And I went above and beyond in my pursuit. I didn't just snatch up and sign death warrants of Christians in Jerusalem. I got permission to go all over everywhere. I traveled as far as Damascus, which was 140 miles out of the way. And and again, up to this point, I imagine the crowd is calm, quiet, listening on, probably nodding in approval, right? But then notice, Paul moves from where he was to where he is. This is the second part of, of his testimony. Paul shared about his Christian conversion. Look at verses 6 through 9. Paul says... As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone round me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. This is such an amazing story. So amazing that that Luke makes mention of it three times. We've talked about it in Acts 9. We're seeing it here, and we're also going to see it again in Acts chapter 26. All right? So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time for the sake of time in this because we'll be back on it in uh, Acts 26. We'll focus on it again. But I do want you to see this. Notice Paul shares with them that on his way to Damascus, the Lord stops him dead in his tracks. He tells them that during this journey, about noon, a great light appeared from heaven, blinding him, knocking him to the ground, and a voice boomed from the heavens saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul then asked, who are you, Lord? And the answer from heaven was, I am Jesus of Nazareth. So there's no mistaking which Jesus this is, right? I am Jesus from Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now, I want you to notice here that Paul, by sharing with the Jews in the crowd this detail, he is showing that Jesus is alive and that he is the Lord of heaven. Do you see that? Now, they believed Jesus of Nazareth was killed at Calvary. But Paul, in this statement, indicates the fact that Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is the Lord of heaven. And let me just pause here for just a minute and remind you, when you are sharing your testimony, you must include this detail, that Christ is risen, that he has conquered sin and death through his life death and resurrection those you share with need to know that christ is lord of heaven and earth he is lord of all the risen lord who has accomplished our salvation if they don't understand that they won't be saved paul highlights his truth there notice what else he says look at verse 10 and i said what shall i do lord and the lord said to me rise and go into damascus and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do and since I could not see because of the brightness of that light I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus notice here Paul after having this encounter with the risen Lord he asked the right question do you notice that after having this encounter he says what shall I do he understands 
that being saved and being called to ministry go hand in hand. They do. And believers, we should understand that as well. If you've been saved, you have been called out to serve the Lord by serving others and by serving His Word in His world. And notice that after Paul asked this question, what shall I do? The Lord had an answer for him, which, by the way, he has an answer for you as well. You need to ask that question if you haven't. Very important. He tells Paul, get up and go to Damascus. And because Paul was blinded by the light from heaven, he had to be led by the hand. He had been humbled greatly, hadn't he? And as he waited there, God sent someone to him, a devout Jew by the name of Ananias. Look at verses 12 through 15. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law. Paul just throws that in for his audience. Ananias was not an enemy of Judaism. He was not commissioned by enemies of Judaism. He says Ananias was well spoken of by the Jews who lived in Damascus. Verse 13. He came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. So notice Paul says, the God of our fathers. Do you notice that? They knew who that was. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appointed you, Paul, to know his will and to see the righteous one, the Lord Jesus, to hear a voice from his mouth. Verse 15, for you will be a witness for him, for Jesus, to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? He says, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now there is a lot here but I first need to address verse 16 because I know that's probably sticking out in many of your minds. Ananias, I want to make the point here, Ananias is not teaching here that the act of baptism is what saves and cleanses us from sin. Many have, have taken that verse, misunderstood that verse, horribly applied that verse. The Bible clearly refutes this. The way it's written is in this way, and excuse me, I'm going to get a little bit technical for just a minute, all right? So just bear with me. The phrase, calling on his name, is an aorist participle, which I know means very little to many of you, but what that means is it's an action that precedes the main verb or verbs. So, so Ananias is talking about an action that Paul does prior to baptism, and something that precedes him being cleansed from sin. Okay, so that phrase, to uh, uh, calling upon his name, that, that precedes those actions. So the question then is what verb or verbs is the phrase calling on his name connected to? Baptism or wash away your sins? Well, grammatically, I believe it, it goes with the latter of the two phrases. And so with that in mind, what... I believe Ananias is saying, the way you interpret that text of Scripture is Ananias is saying to Paul, wash away your sins by calling on the name of Jesus and then follow in believer's baptism. Okay, the translation's a little tricky there, but I believe that's a, a proper interpretation of that verse of Scripture. And many of you know, the reason why we baptize, baptism is to be an outward picture of what is an inward reality. We're told that in Scripture. So it pictures being cleansed from sin. It pictures being changed from the inside out. It pictures our death 
in our resurrection. We've, we've died. We've been crucified with Christ. We've been raised to walk in newness of life with him. It pictures that. But baptism, the act of baptism, doesn't cleanse our sin at all. It's just a picture that we have been cleansed, right? That we have been changed. And no one understood this better than Paul. Romans 10, 9, and 10, he says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Nothing about water baptism there to be saved. Am I right? I don't see it. And I know that's a long side note, but we need to clear that up because there's been a lot of confusion, all right? Now, notice here in verses 12 through 15 of Acts 22 that before Ananias tells Paul what to do to prepare for the mission, he tells him about what the mission entails. Paul says, Ananias said to me, the one true God of the scriptures, the God of our fathers, has chosen you to know his will and to see his righteous one, the Lord Jesus, and to share this gospel message about him with others. Paul is, is telling those in his audience the will of the one true God the will of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob our God is for me to share his message with you and to share with you that the righteous one the Lord Jesus is God's Messiah his man our Savior and, and I want you to notice that after Paul shares this message very very interesting the audience is still quiet isn't that interesting you would think they would be upset at the fact that Paul was preaching that Christ was God's man, his promised Messiah. But that did not provoke them to anger. Sure moved Paul to anger before he was saved, didn't it? But they were not as zealous as Paul, remember? He already established that fact. They remained calm and quiet until Paul began to share with them the scope of his Christian mission. And that's the third point of Paul's message here. Paul talks about his Jewish past, his Christian conversion. Now let's look at the scope of his Christian mission. We find that in verses 17 through 21. Paul says, When I returned to Jerusalem after leaving Damascus and was praying in the temple, notice at this time Paul is still abiding by the Jewish customs, going to the temple in Jerusalem at the designated times for prayer. Paul says, I fell into a trance, verse 18, and saw him, the Lord Jesus, saying to me, Make haste to get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me which probably makes perfect sense to Paul as he's sharing this in chains, right? But at the time, it didn't make sense to him, which is why he said what he did in verse 19. He said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Paul's saying, Lord, why wouldn't they listen to me? They know my zeal. They know how I persecuted those of the way and how I approved of the killing of your servant Stephen. Surely in Jerusalem, they will see how you have transformed my life and will be convinced that you and you alone have done this work and that Christ is Lord. Paul thought that, but he was wrong, wasn't he? We learned that when he came back from Damascus, he began to boldly preach Christ. And what do they want to do? They wanted to kill him. They had to sneak him out of there. 
So he thought that, but he was wrong. But Jesus was right. He told them that, that they would reject him, and that's exactly what they did. So, so look at what Jesus told Paul to do next. Look at verse 21. And he, Jesus, said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And after Paul said that, the non-believing Jews and the crowd went crazy which reveals to us, the reader, that while Paul valued his testimony and his salvation and his calling and his Christian mission, we learn in verse 22 that the Jews valued their race and their religion. That's what they valued, their race and their religion. Look at verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Now, up to what word? Till Paul said... Christ called me to go and minister to the Gentiles. Up to that word, they were listening. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Boy, they turned quickly, didn't they? They, they wanted to kill him for that statement. To think that God would call for anyone to go and minister to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people, and to think that God would allow these uncircumcised pagan people to be a part of his kingdom without having first to go through Judaism was preposterous to them. There was one thing that the Jews in this day could not tolerate was a message that pagan Gentiles could have salvation without having to first become a Jew. They thought they had the market cornered when it came to God's favor and felt as if salvation was for the Jews only and for Gentile converts to Judaism. They valued their race and their religious beliefs and practices more than anything else. And because that was the case, listen, they tossed aside everything else that Paul had said because of that one statement. Look at verse 22 again. They raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. This mob of unbelieving Jews were a proud and selfish, jealous and entitled bunch. It made sense to them that salvation should be offered to them. Which is why they didn't get upset when Paul, a Jew, talked about his conversion. But it made no sense to them that the pagan Gentiles should be included in the conversation. And to think that God would send Paul to take this message to them just infuriated them, which is what led them to say, away with him, same as they did with Jesus. And this is what led them to want to kill Paul and led them to miss this message that Paul had shared. Listen, I want you to get this. To be saved, you have to come to the understanding that without Christ, you would be helpless and hopeless, lost and condemned. And get this, you have to come to the understanding that you are in need of salvation as much, if not more so, than any and everyone else. You have to realize that Christ has provided everything for you of what God has required of you. You have to understand that you bring absolutely nothing of worth to the table when it comes to salvation. And if you try to bring something, you will not be made right before God. That's why I love the song, Rock of Ages, that says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You've got to come empty-handed. 
Nothing you bring and say, I'm trusting in this plus you, will make you right. You got to come empty handed. You got to trust in Christ alone. There is nothing about who you are or who I am, who we are, nothing about what we have done that makes us any more deserving than anyone else when it comes to salvation. We all deserve to be condemned for our sin, and without Christ, we all will be. This group of Jews, they miss this. They miss salvation as well. They valued their race and religion more than anything else, and they missed this most important message. So that's what Paul valued. That's what the Jewish mob valued. And we also learned something about what the Roman soldiers valued in this story as well. Notice we learn here that they valued civil peace and Roman citizenship. The Romans valued civil peace and citizenship. Look at verses 23 through 24. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, that's the Jews. They were mad, mad. Look at verse 24. The tribune, this commander of a thousand Roman soldiers, ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. How nice of him. To find out why they were shouting against him like this. I, I would have preferred they just ask him, you know, than, than examine him by flogging. Now, like we said earlier, it, it appears as if the Romans did not understand what Paul had said. Now, there might have been some Roman soldiers in the crowd who understood some Aramaic, but even if they did, they were not listening with ears to hear, with open hearts. They were not seeing what Paul was saying through a Jewish lens either. Therefore, they didn't understand why this message made the Jews so angry. All they knew was that they were, in fact, angry, and they did not like that one bit. That's why they were getting ready to flog Paul, just like they did with Jesus, probably to appease the crowd and also to get some answers from him. We said several weeks ago that, that one thing that the, the Romans in this day hated more than anything was civil unrest. They knew to keep the power they needed to keep peace within the cities, within the empire. And because that was the case, there was nothing that upset them more than what was taking place in Jerusalem. And in their mind, Paul was to blame. So they're going to beat the story out of him so that they can seek some sort of resolve. And I was thinking about this this past week, and I was thinking about our world today, and I was thinking about the fact that we can often allow this desire to keep the peace influence us, can we? We can. So we said that the gospel has a tendency to stir things up. This exclusive message divides people and makes some very angry. And because that's the case, many just stay quiet. They don't speak up. Believers don't do this. They don't share the message because they put too much value on keeping the peace or they remove some of the offensive elements from the gospel to try to, you know, act as God's PR person. God, I know you said this, but let me say it this way. This will go over better. And they, they kill the message. The Romans had issues with Paul because what he was doing and saying was causing issues in society. They did not like Paul for this reason, probably wanted to punish him for this reason. But notice their feelings quickly change. Look at verses 25 through 30 quickly. 
But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Uh-oh. When the centurion, the leader of a hundred men, heard this, he went to the tribune, the leader of a thousand men, and said, What are you about to do? For this man's a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. So notice here, this great leader wasn't even a Roman citizen by birth. He was a second-class citizen. I read that during the reign of, of Emperor Claudius in the middle of the first century, it was possible to purchase Roman citizenship so apparently that's what this tribune had done but Paul said I am a citizen by birth so he's more of a Roman citizen than this tribune is do you see that verse 29 so those who are about to examine him withdrew from him immediately and the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him which was a big no-no to do that without a trial and he was getting ready to flog him but he didn't so things changed right away. But why did things change for Paul? Was it because Paul was God's man? Was it because he was this great ambassador for God carrying his message? Now it's because he was a Roman citizen. So the, the, the Roman leaders, they, they valued citizenship more than anything else. And they called a meeting with the Jewish leaders. Look at verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And we'll look at what Paul says to them again next week. But notice they allow Paul to address the crowd once again. But notice once again, it's not because Paul is is God's man with his message. The reason why is because they valued civil peace and Roman citizenship. They valued peace and power and status. The Jews valued their race and religion while Paul valued his salvation, his relationship with the Lord, his Christian calling and his Christian mission. And I want to end this morning by asking you a very, very simple question. What do you value in life? Where do your treasures lie in your life? Is Jesus at the top? Is he, is he what you value and treasure more than anything? Maybe you're here this morning. Christ is not your treasure at all. Maybe that's where you are. The reason why is because you're not trusting in him alone for your salvation. If this is you, my response to you is simply this. I urge you, if you have not, Turn from your sin. Forsake your sin. Give your life up and over to the Lord Jesus so that he may become your treasure. Listen, Jesus has accomplished everything for us that he might give everything of worth, everything of value to us. Do you realize that? He emptied himself to do it. He came from heaven to earth to do it. He lived for us to do it. He died for us to do it. He was raised to do it so that we, through him, could be forgiven of sin and made right with God and have him as our treasure and have life with the Lord for all eternity. He's done that for us. And what's required of you is for you 
to turn over the reins of your life to him. Turn from your sin, give your life up and over to him and make Christ your Lord so that he can be your treasure. If you've never done this, I pray you would today. Let's pray.